Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. $800 billion, I think we have to say that again, $800 billion and counting for an industry that is, is still growing in size is impressive. Todd, once again, you drew the uh, short straw on the Vetify team. Uh, of course, it would be you who gets the podcast the week after spot Bitcoin ETF approval. I'm very uh, sorry, man. No, I'm happy to be here. And I, this feels like the Monday after the Super Bowl for most people. I, I think the, the fi- finally having spot Bitcoin ETFs and you know, close to a dozen of them trading is probably the Super Bowl for you since you're a Kent City Chiefs fan, and you've already won that. And this year is just gravy for you. So uh, happy day after or two days after trading of spot Bitcoin ETFs to you, my friend. Well, you know what? Speaking of uh, a Super Bowl Monday, I, it was a big week for you last week overall. I saw your Michigan Wolverines won the uh, the college football title on Monday. And then uh, on, uh, on X or Twitter, I saw that you capped off the week by attending Bitwise's bell ringing ceremony at the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, how was that? Well, do we have thirty minutes for me to talk about the Michigan Wolverines? <laughs> no. <laughs> then I will. Then I will move past that. I, I know you have Matt Hogan coming up, and I, I guess I have to say the last name since you've got uh, two Matts uh, on the show. Uh, but boy, wow! Is this a sign that Bitcoin has entered into the ETF marketplace and become slightly more mainstream? Closing the market uh, was Matt Hogan. And the, and the broader team at Bitwise at the New York Stock Exchange, and I was honored to be uh, one of the guests that they had invited there. Uh, so Bitcoin trading uh, through an ETF on, on the NYSE as well as the other exchanges, just a tremendous sign for the, what has been achieved uh, 10 years plus in the making. I was uh, so jealous. I would have loved to have been at that uh, bell ringing. What a, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head just to see um, Bitcoin and crypto up there on the podium at, at NYSE. We have come a long way. And as an aside, I'm going to discuss this with, uh, with Matt. And you may have seen I, I put out a, a tweet to this effect last week. Bitwise did such a great job last week all the way around on the launch of that ETF. But particularly just on marketing. I feel like they were everywhere. Obviously, the bell ringing was was part of that, but I, I don't feel like I can move anywhere online and not see that BITB ticker. Have you seen that? Uh, I have seen it. If you go to ETFtrends.com, they've got a, a takeover of our homepage <laughs> right now. Uh, so you can't miss it. Uh, but they're not alone. Obviously, there was great education going on from all the different providers. And I, I saw our friend Jay Jacobs was trending, I think, uh, on, on X looking uh, over the weekend because of the educational video that he put out. And, of course, the folks at Grayscale. I was actually flying uh, back from Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, out there to help celebrate with the team uh, as a guest again. Um, and at the airport, you could see GBTC ads as the largest ETF. So there was a lot of education going on from a number of different providers uh, in various mediums, not just uh, on a, a website that has ETF in its name. I was dying on that Jay Jacobs ad. Uh, for people who don't know, Jay Jacobs is with uh, with, with iShares. I think he heads up. I don't have his formal title. He'll, he'll actually be on the podcast here in a few weeks, but I believe he's like head of thematic ETFs. But it was a very um, prototypical 
iShares ad. I it was good, but there was nothing noteworthy about it. And if you know Jay, um, great guy, but he's pretty understated. He's not somebody that's out there look at me and, and trying to draw attention to himself. And I just thought I, I logged into uh, to Twitter on Sunday and I saw that ad everywhere in my feed, and I just got the biggest kick out of it. Only because you know I've had an opportunity to to, to meet Jay in person several times and, and visit with him in the past, and it just seemed like a, an odd dichotomy. But um, Todd, look, we're not going to. Uh, regurgitate everything that happened last week. I, I would say the media did a pretty darn good job of uh, documenting everything leading up to and surrounding the launch of spot Bitcoin ETFs. I think anybody who follows me out on uh, Twitter, I, I would like to think I did a pretty good job of documenting uh, everything. The story was everywhere. E- even my parents saw it on uh, AOL.com or wherever they still get their news. They were asking me about it. But um, I do think it's only fair that you have an opportunity to comment on this since I've been making you discuss this topic for years now. And it, it did finally happen. So very simply, the floor is now yours. What, what was your reaction to the debut of spot Bitcoin ETFs last Thursday and uh, what we have seen just over the past couple of trading days since? Yeah, I mean, this was a, this was a tremendous milestone to the ETF industry. Uh, and I think I've been in the ETF industry maybe as long or, or just as long as you have this show just is celebrating its 13th anniversary that's around how long i've been following etfs professionally as opposed to investing in it and i can't recall anything like this we had a fee war taking place before the product ended up even launching day after day fees would get reduced we saw strong trading volume uh from new entrants New ETFs aren't supposed to be trading that strong out of the gate. The way that we saw, we saw GBTC now an ETF, and it was in the top 10 uh, trading uh, of all ETFs that have many that have much longer records as an ETF or much more assets. Uh, overall, I think everybody that was connected to this, both from the issuers, uh, the exchanges, everybody behind the scenes, and then people like yourself and Eric Bautundas and James Saford, who were living and breathing this hour after hour, should have, should be really excited with how things went. Uh, and we had Vetify, I think we're going to come to it in a moment, but we were excited to be able to host many of the asset managers on an event that we had. But before you let me get there, I think the one thing, I, I digress if we didn't quickly mention that Vanguard made news by not allowing these products to be trading out of the gate, and just for folks that want to, uh, some perspective, five years ago, almost to the day, Vanguard disallowed the trading of leveraged ETFs. So Vanguard has a practice of not allowing things to be traded by their clients if they deem it to be risky. Whether Bitcoin ETFs are as risky as leveraged ETFs, we'll see, but they certainly are risky uh, and perhaps need to be treated with eyes wide open uh, from from all the brokerage firms. So I guess let me pause there because there's so much more to talk about. Yeah, real quick on the Vanguard topic. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I've been pretty sharp in my criticism there. And obviously, Vanguard's a private company. They can do whatever they want. And if they don't want uh, investors to access certain products, that, that, that's they have that right to do so. My criticism is more just that I don't think they're seeing the bigger picture here. And, and look, I'm sure Vanguard's marketing group and their strategic planning team, they know a lot more about their business than I do. But I feel like I have a pretty good uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on. And I just feel like they are 
really turning off younger investors in particular. Uh, I keep saying it's 2024. The, the industry is moving towards greater accessibility and more investor empowerment, not away from that. And I just think there are some contradictions. I, I don't know this for sure, but I believe they offer uh, physical gold ETFs on their platform. And I think you'd have some people saying, well, what's what's the difference here? And, we, and I'm not going to get through the laundry list of other ETFs they offer and the type of exposure there and where Bitcoin fits into it. My My criticism is more just that I don't believe in 2024 that gating access to products um, is the right way to go about doing things. I think it's condescending towards investors. It turns them off. And, uh, you know, Todd, I mean, I I operate in a, a registered investment advisory firm. I think one of the benefits of that model is we can offer to our clients whatever we think is best. We're not gating access to, to products. Uh, and I, I just... I don't get that business decision longer term. They're, they're painting themselves as sort of boomer-esque, and maybe that fits their clientele right now. That's where the assets are. I just think it's a poor long-term decision. Well, I, I'm not sure it's a long-term move as it is a short-term move. These products just started trading, and if you have an account at a wirehouse, uh, you presumably weren't able to buy it either because ETFs need to have a certain amount of history and a certain amount of assets under management. And in some cases, they hit the AUM threshold out of the gate, but they certainly don't have six months of, of history. So this Vanguard is not alone in that you can't buy it on their platform, but they've certainly made news and headlines. Yeah, but I would love you to... When word came out. I would love you the same criticism at some of the wirehouses. I mean, that's been an issue in the ETF space for a long time. I know you, you've had the same conversations. I've talked to countless, especially smaller ETF issuers who have wonderful products that never see the light of day on those uh, platforms because the access is gated or it's pay to play. And I just, I, I disagree with that um, that model. But um, look, you mentioned the uh, crypto symposium that Vetify held last week. I, I do want to talk about that because as always with these symposiums, you came away with, with some uh, very interesting polling data and, and some other takeaways. And we are going to share those with the ETF Prime audience today. One of these is specifically spot Bitcoin ETF related, and we can maybe start with that one. But the other ones are, are more broad uh, polling questions around crypto, I would say. Um, but by the way, did you time that symposium, uh, assuming spot Bitcoin ETFs would be approved, or did you just get lucky there? No, we did. We had thoughts of having one in uh, the beginning of the year in January. We wanted to make sure it was after the ARC, uh, the deadline that the SEC had to come out with ARC, uh, a ruling on that. We had strong confidence, as did others within the industry, that we would get a decision and a green light. Uh, and so we were planning it, and then we moved the date back slightly went so that we could give asset managers a chance to actually talk assuming it was approved. And so real quick, we had uh, about 1,100 people register for this event. You can go to etftrends.com under the events page and see a replay of the sessions. We had just under 600 live attendees, and I know we're going to get many folks that are going to replay it. And we had, I believe, seven or eight of the different asset managers that had launched or uplisted, in the case of Grayscale, uh, participate in it, BlackRock and Bitwise uh, and WisdomTree and VanEck and Franklin 
uh, and I'm, I'm probably missing one off the top of my head as I'm, I'm doing this without notes. Uh, but tremendous expertise, tremendous education. Uh, and as you're right, we, we talk to a lot of advisors and, and I think got some great insights that can both help listeners, uh, as well as just people in general understanding of what the appetite is for these products. Yeah, and, and so let's go through um, some of those insights. Again, this polling data from the symposium, uh, you had a number of questions that uh, you sent over. I flagged three of these for, for us to walk through, ones that I thought were most interesting. And let's start with that one that I, I noted was spot Bitcoin ETF related, because I, I feel like this is right up your alley uh, as it gets into ETF due diligence, which has to be your favorite topic uh, out there. So the question was this. When choosing among potential spot ETFs, which matters most to you? And there were five options here, assets under management, breadth of offerings, expense ratio, expertise of the firm, and liquidity. Interestingly, the uh, the top choice with 47% was expertise of the firm. Number two, I would say also a bit surprising, liquidity with about 20%. And then three was expense ratio at around 17%. What, what did you take away from that? Because as you can maybe tell by my reaction here, I was a bit surprised. I, I thought expense ratio would top the list. But apparently the group of people attending the, the, the Vetify Symposium said expertise of the firm. So what, what did you take from that? So I was thrilled with it because, as you know, I don't think expense ratio should be the, the driving factor when choosing an ETF. And while the spot Bitcoin ETFs all own the same thing, which is spot Bitcoin, and so expense ratio should be uh, more meaningful than unless you're buying uh, most other asset classes, I guess S&P 500-based uh, ETFs or, or gold ETFs. We've seen a few war take place ahead of the launches. So, again, I'm, my notes aren't in front of me, but oh, we have five or six different firms that made the product free out of the gate or is now free initially. And then the difference is when that fee waiver ends is negligible between what Franklin Templeton is offering and Bitwise uh, and ARC and BlackRock. They're all roughly around the same fee with the exception of GBTC, which we can come back to in a second. So I think expense ratio should not be the, the reason behind it. But what was exciting to me about the expertise of the firm is they all have different levels of expertise. Now, expertise of the firm in, in terms of crypto, you'd probably put Bitwise and Grayscale among the firms, maybe Invesco with Galaxy as their partner or an ARC with 21 shares. Those firms probably grouped together. But expertise of the firm could be just expertise in trading uh, of ETFs. And obviously, BlackRock and Fidelity and Wisdom Tree have, have different levels of expertise. So I guess you could interpret this however you want to. And then liquidity was actually, I was surprised by that. That certainly would be a positive sign for, for Grayscale, for GBTC, uh, because that ETF had built in liquidity. It was already trading notably. Uh, and as mentioned, it was the ninth, I think it was the ninth uh, most frequently traded ETF the first day on Thursday. Uh, but just a sign that advisors, investors are not just buying an ETF based on it's expense ratio. That's music to my ears. Regarding GBTC in particular, um, what did you think about the fee they rolled out with? That that 1.5% expense ratio, especially in light of the fact that 
the lowest cost ETFs in the space. You know, Franklin's at 19 basis points. Bitwise is at 20 basis points. There are others in that general neighborhood. Even if this poll question says expense ratio is third, I mean, that's that's a big gap there in price. Did you have any thoughts on that in particular? Yeah, I mean, I think this has been deemed as a, a race uh, to, to gather assets, and but I would view it as much of a marathon. And so Grayscale is starting on mile, what, five or six uh in this race as opposed to at the starting line because of their established book of business and so why cut why cut the fee to match everybody else when you don't need to uh we, we've seen that within the overall etf industry you, you you bring pricing down perhaps a little bit uh as a nod to it's more efficient to run an etf i think uh but also they don't need to do so could they ultimately bring the pricing down closer? Possibly. Uh, could they launch a uh, clone product the way that we've seen a, a, a mini-me version of gold shares from State Street uh, or QQQM's version of the NASDAQ uh, Invesco product that's QQQ? Yeah, that certainly could happen. But uh, Grayscale's got a, a built-in advantage. I think they're going to hold on to it for a little while. Yeah, and I'm sure they game this out. Uh, they they did all the math and the spreadsheets, and even if they have some outflows, which we have seen over the first couple of days, it's a base, uh, basic math equation here, right? If if you have X number of outflows, but you're at 1.5%, that equals an implied ad, uh, annual revenue of, of a certain amount versus, say, if they drop to 1% or 50 basis points or so on and so forth. So I'm sure they game this out. And they feel pretty confident that a uh, you know decent portion of those assets will stick. But I do think that'll be interesting to watch moving forward. Um, all right, Todd, another polling question that I, I liked from uh, this symposium was this one. The question was, how much exposure do you expect to have in crypto in your average client portfolio in three months? So, so the time frame here is three months. Um, the, the number one answer with 58% was 1% to 5%, so 1% to 5% exposure to crypto within the next three months. Number two, with uh, 34%, was 0% allocation. And then uh, 5 to 10% had 5% of the vote, and more than 10% allocation had 3% of the vote. So just to clean that up, because I, I was <laughs> mixing a lot of data there, the number one answer with 58% of the respondents was that they would allocate 1% to 5% to crypto in their client portfolios within three months. Now, look, three months is admittedly a short time frame, but I did find that interesting. Um, you know, that's a, I think, a, a pretty good endorsement of advisor interest uh, in, in adding crypto to client portfolios. What, what did you think about the results from that one? Yeah, so let me just add one thing in before, and then I'll give you my comment. We asked a question just prior to that of how much of your average client portfolio is invested in crypto. So mm -hmm. essentially the same question, but using it as of Thursday when we asked the question and then asking people to look forward three months. And we had the inverse. So 58% uh, had no exposure to it and 34% had between one and 5%. And then if you look forward three months, we saw the flip of that. 58% plan on so roughly, if we could do the math on this quickly, roughly 25% of the audience was planning on adding 
between a, a small slice of crypto into their overall portfolio in the first three months that didn't have it beforehand. Now, there could be lots of reasons behind that, uh, but to me, number one, two, and three is they now have the accessibility and low-cost opportunity to get uh, one of uh, half a dozen, if not more, spot Bitcoin ETFs. So I think there, what we, we had expected that there was some pent-up demand from advisors to add exposure to Bitcoin using an ETF. We think that is the case based on the survey data. We will certainly see it in the coming days, weeks, and months if money continues to move in to these respective products. So that's exactly what I would want it to see. I, you know, let me just put it back to you. What do you think is, I don't want, not want you to give investment advice, but is a low single digit percentage exposure to Bitcoin in a, a, an appropriate way of thinking about this new asset class? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to offer investment advice here. Um, two things. One, just to go back to what you were saying, I think no question the results of this poll shows the impact of spot Bitcoin ETFs now being on the market. It's that accessibility. So, so let's put that aside. In terms of an allocation, shame, shameless plug, uh, I was on Bloomberg's ETF IQ last week, and uh, Eric Balchunas asked me pretty much the exact same question. And my response was, uh, yeah, I think a 1% to 5% allocation for the right type of investor, which I think as a whole is going to veer uh, more aggressive, a more aggressive risk profile, and probably a bit younger, I think that's where we're going to see uh, see this land. And the what, what I told Eric was, like, I think about our um, our model portfolios that we construct, and we've had a long-term core allocation of gold that, that's around, you know, 5% or so. Again, not investment advice. Please, everybody do your own homework. Uh, I, I think that it's reasonable that you could have Bitcoin potentially replace that holding for some investors. Because, Todd, the question that we've always received especially from, again, younger investors, is why do we own physical gold and not digital gold? Because that's how they view it. And there's a whole podcast we could have to unpack that and whether or not uh, Bitcoin uh, you know, has the same risk return profile of gold. I'm not getting into that now. I'm just talking about perception here. But I think when you, when you look at allocation, this isn't about loading up the truck and you know, having whatever fifty percent of your portfolio to Bitcoin, this is a small satellite allocation. With the idea being, if you look historically, even though it's a short track record since Bitcoin has been available, just Bitcoin period, if you had a small allocation in a portfolio, it would have been additive from a risk return um, standpoint. Again, short short track record overall. We're talking about fifteen years versus five thousand plus years of gold. But I think that's the the, uh, the right way to think about it. Agreed. Yeah, agree, agreed. Okay. Um, one other polling question I did want to flag here, uh, which actually I think this offers a little balance to our conversation as well. This isn't just all, you know, price go up to the moon with Bitcoin, obviously. So the question was, which of the following has you uh, concerned about investing in crypto? The top response was volatility with 36%. The uh, second most popular response was difficulty to value. Uh, that was 22%. And then the, uh, the, the other three answers, which all you know had a decent chunk of the vote, failures of crypto companies, regulatory concerns, and then uncertainty talking to clients about this. 
And I, I really like this question because I think it shows Bitcoin and crypto are still novel, right? They're, they're still emerging. And adding Bitcoin to a portfolio like we were just talking about, this is not the same as putting a, uh, I, I don't know, a treasury bond in a portfolio. And we need to make sure that doesn't get lost in the hype around uh, spot Bitcoin ETF. So I, I know you obviously agree with that assessment. I do. So I, what I was, again, pleased to see was the, the more popular answers, in fact, more than half uh, of the audience, their concerns were things that they might be concerned about, other things like biotechnology companies that are high risk, high reward. It's, you know, it's hard to value uh, companies that are unprofitable uh, as well and that are risky. And so for those people, okay, this might not be the right time to invest. Maybe there is a better time to invest. If the price comes back in and they're not just going to buy just because the products are out there. But I had expected that, again, you have to take the sample size and who we invited. You know, we invited everybody, but not everybody comes to the symposium to learn about crypto investing. And those that do obviously have self-selected. But the failure of crypto companies is still fresh in many people's minds. The regulatory concerns have not dissipated completely, even though we now have the SEC offering, uh, allowing these products to come to market. Uh, so I actually, what I thought would have been more popular was uncertainty talking to clients about cryptocurrency. And that was, a, that was a, that was distant, uh, and much further back in, in terms of the answers. Because I think that's the, ch- that's the challenge that needs to be overcome. Most advisors have not had to have this conversation beforehand, but now you can't miss these ads. Uh, they're, they're everywhere. So people are going to start to want to talk to their advisor about it. Advisors need to have answers. Maybe more of them had answers than I had expected. That last point, Todd, is exactly what I wanted to hone in on because uh, Bitwise and Vetify actually recently released the results of a survey uh, of advisors around crypto. And I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say 88% of advisors, it was something like that, um, have received a question from clients about crypto. And to, to me, um, look, I, I know I've said this before, but I just believe very strongly in it. I don't care if you like Bitcoin or crypto. If, if you think it's vaporware, great. If you think it's the next best thing in the world, great. You still have to be able to have an intelligent conversation with clients around this topic, period. It's no different than any other asset class that uh, an advisor may deal with. Even if you're not allocating to that asset class in your portfolio, you better be able to talk about it. So I, I just wanted to uh, to emphasize that point. I know that was, like you said, the, the smallest um, number of respondents said they had uncertainty talking to clients about it. I just think that's so important. And and real quick, Todd, on that note, before I let you go, we, we only have about a minute left, but on the topic of education, we know, we are now, what, uh, less than a month away from exchange, which is being held February 11th through the 14th in Miami. Of course, I'll be there. Listeners, I want to mention, you can register at exchangeetf.com. And for people who are actually paying attention to what we're talking about right now, Todd, there is a special ETF Prime discount code. So you can get an advisor pass for $99, $99 by entering the discount code ETF Prime 24, ETF Prime 24 when you register. Uh, but Todd, just real quick, give us a quick preview of some of the uh, the sessions and events that have your attention. 
Yeah, so we are going to have a spot Bitcoin session. Matt Hogan is one of the folks that's going to be a part of it. I know he's coming up in a second. Uh, hey, Matt, uh, and you're going to be there to help me and others do ETF education. Uh, we've got John Davi of Astoria Advisors and Katie Stockton, uh, who each uh, run ETFs using that own other ETFs. They're going to talk about how they build portfolios. We've got Eric Falchunas and Elizabeth Kashner doing some education as well. And then we've got a few of the heavy hitters in the ETF industry. So Jeff Gunlock is going to be there, and yes, he has an ETF. And uh, we've got Jeff Johnson of Vanguard, who's going to be doing a session on fixed income investing. We're going to talk about thematic strategies uh, like biotechnology in particular with, uh, with BlackRock and Invesco. This is going to be a great event. I hope many of our listeners uh, for this come down if you're an advisor. Definitely please stop me and say hello if you're within the industry. Yeah, I'm sure you'll want to do that too, uh, hopefully. So, uh, Nate, excited to see you down there in just four weeks and people have a chance to get in uh, at a nice discounted savings. There's a few more as well in this space, right? I can't wait for this uh, event. And by the way, I will be doing the podcast down there uh, for listeners. But I just opened up the uh, weather app on my phone. Get this, and, and maybe you already know this if you watch the uh, Chiefs game on Saturday. It's currently minus two degrees here. So if I nothing else, I'm looking forward to some better weather. But, uh, Todd, I always enjoy our conversations. I promise you that you're not going to have to talk spot Bitcoin ETFs next time you're on. I, actually, you know what? Uh, I, I probably shouldn't don't promise, promise that. Me that. I have a feeling that it's going to come up. We'll have the one-month anniversary of how things are doing. So uh, <laughs> enjoy talking to two different maps about two different alternative topics. Hey, thank you for joining me. That was Todd Rosenbluth, head of research at Vetify.